You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Craig Cabanis. Normally what we do at this time in the service is we open up God's Word and we read a passage of Scripture and we just sort of walk through that and see what it means Uh, what it meant in its original context, and then what it means today and how can we apply that in our lives. So that's exactly what we're going to do. We're in a a series on 1 Thessalonians, uh, which is not a really, uh, I wouldn't say, I would say it's one of the least popular of Paul's Writings. Everybody, you know, loves uh, theological people. All love Romans. Joyful people. All love uh, Philippians. Um, you know, Ephesians is about the church. Galatians is about the glory of grace and a, and the, a letter against legalism. But you don't hear a lot about First Thessalonians. It's kind of the Cinderella of Paul's letters in some ways, I think. But um, but we're learning some wonderful things from it. It is a great book as we go through a series called Here and Now. And uh, there's a lot of emphasis on the second coming in this book of Christ, second coming of Christ. And so the idea is, how are we to live in the here and now in light of Christ's return? How do we live that kind of life? And uh, so today we're finished chapter one, we're going to jump into chapter two and uh, talk about how Paul begins to get personal and share about how he did ministry uh, among the Thessalonians. If you don't have a Bible, there's one under the seat in front of you. Uh, you can grab it and turn to page 573, and you'll, I'd encourage you to do so, so that you could read along. And if you have a question about anything we're talking about or related, uh, if you would text that in to the number up there, then uh, we will seek to answer that on our podcast this week as we talk about issues um, from uh, the themes that we talk about on Sunday. So you can text that and that podcast, uh, you can find it on our website. It comes back, uh, comes out on Wednesdays. Okay, here we go. Chapter two, we're going to read verses one through 12 today. Uh, This is God's word. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though he had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You were witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers." For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. 
Well, as we've looked at chapter 1, we saw that chapter 1 was really about how the Thessalonians received the gospel. They had received it in such a way um, with faith in the midst of conflict, and now their faith has actually gone viral. And other um, regions are talking about the Thessalonians and their turn to Jesus, and it's really amazing. We've been talking, this year we're talking about the idea of public faith, and we saw last week how their faith was public both by their verbal testimony, but also by their example, which was spreading to other people. And in this chapter, he transitions from how the Thessalonians received the gospel, that's chapter one, to how Paul and his team brought the gospel. So the section we're reading right now describes how Paul and his team brought the good news. He talks about the message of the gospel, but the emphasis here is on not just the message, but the method, how he brought the good news. This is so important, and as we talk again about public faith, this, is, this passage is vital in this letter because he's showing now how he came into an unreached area and brought the gospel, not just the message, but the method that is so key for us to learn. And we really find this summarized in verse 8 in the sort of second half of the passage. In verse 8, he says, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. What's the point? We shared the gospel and we shared our lives. It wasn't one or the other. We didn't just drive by and throw a track at you and just share the gospel, but neither did we just hang out and never bring up Jesus. It was we shared the gospel, but we did that through sharing our lives. Now, none of us are apostles. None of us are like Paul and his team, bringing the gospel to a new area for the first time, uh, an unreached area. Uh, so, we are, uh, so we're different than Paul and his companions. However, there are some principles here that are really powerful lessons for us. And specifically when we think about Paul's example, it really applies to us all. Public faith involves sharing the gospel and sharing our lives. So I want to look at those two things and see what Paul talks about here. He talks about first how they shared the gospel, and then he talks about how they shared their lives. And when I say they, I mean his team, uh, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. So let's look at verses 1 and 2. You yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Now, those verses, and particularly the ones that follow, they read very much like a defense. Paul is offering a defense of how they brought the gospel. He is making a case for his sincerity in ministry. Why is he doing that? Well, we know, we read Acts 17 before, we know that when he came to Thessalonica, brought the gospel, there was an instant opposition to it. They, they, they uh, stood against him. Uh, there was a mob that gathered. They arrested his host. And what happened was that the new believers, he had only been there a few weeks, the new believers sent Paul and Silas away in the middle of the night. 
So with their sudden disappearance, they didn't bring closure to everything, there wasn't some kind of a public send-off, it easily could have allowed their opponents to raise accusations. We know their opponents were active because they actually followed Paul to the next city, Berea, but they were opposing him. So it's very likely that they began to uh, raise accusations about Paul and his group. And as we go through these verses, we can sort of construct likely what these slanders were that the opponents were raising. First of all, they likely challenged Paul's motives for coming to Thessalonica. You know, uh, you yourselves know that our coming to you, verse 1, was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, he, he refers to how they came. You know, it'd be easy for the opponents to say, hey, you know, what happened to Paul and his, his, uh, the company with him? What happened to them? It got a little hot around here. We started resisting you. And what did he do? He slipped off in the middle of the night. He couldn't take the heat. He wasn't really here sincerely for your benefit. He escaped after only a few weeks. I mean, how sincere was he really? You could hear these kind of questions. And Paul says, hey, we showed up suffering. Paul says, we had just come from Philippi. If you read Acts 16, you'll see in Philippi uh, that Paul uh, and his companions are arrested, stripped, beaten with rods, uh, and they, they ultimately were not to be beaten. They were Roman citizens. And so you couldn't beat someone without due process, without a trial. But they were beaten naked with rods um, without due process. So they had been treated illegally. That's why he says we had been treated shamefully. He's saying, look, you guys know we showed up suffering. We showed up scarred. We had just come out of an intense situation. We're, we're not out for selfish gain. We, we came uh, to you and communicated the gospel as those who had suffering, who had suffered. We're not afraid of suffering. We expect it. We're not afraid of conflict. We expect it. There's conflict wherever we go. That's what he says. We declare to you the gospel of God, verse 2, in the midst of much conflict. So far from abandoning everybody when it got tough, we always share the good news in the midst of suffering and in conflict. We shared, he's saying, we shared from weakness. We shared the gospel with you from weakness. Secondly, we didn't come preaching the gospel from error or deceit. Look what he says in verse 3. Our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. So we didn't come here with error. We weren't deceiving you. We didn't come to trick you. What we say is true. In their day, it was common, you pick this up in Corinthians a lot, there was common for there to be traveling teachers, traveling philosophers, sort of wisdom gurus who would show up in town. They'd do a lot of different things. Sometimes maybe they make a short presentation and then say, if you want to hear more about this new idea, they were kind of like self-help. We don't really have anything in our culture today except maybe like self-help seminars would maybe be something similar to it. 
But okay, you know, here's our, here's our little tease. Here's the little bit that we're going to tell you. And if you pay us a fee, you can come to the private session and hear the real knowledge. So people would just show up and do this kind of a thing, kind of like a website where you can get a little bit of the webinar for free. But if you really want the teaching, you got to pay 100 bucks for the webinar, whatever it is. There was, that was a very common kind of thing. And so um, he's saying we didn't come with uh, sort of tricking you. Uh, We didn't come to deceive in any way. We came with truth. We came with truth. We had been, he says, entrusted with the gospel from God. We came with truth from God not to deceive you. We shared the truth. We shared in humility. Secondly, we shared in truth. Third, we came to please God, not to please you. He says we were entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, I'm in verse 4, but to please God who tests our heart. We didn't come to please man, we came to please God. We didn't come to impress you. We didn't come to win you over. We didn't come to be popular. You could hear the critics saying, hey, they showed up and taught, right? But as soon as there was some resistance, as soon as people didn't like what they said, as soon as people stood against them, they disappeared. He's saying, we didn't come to please people. We weren't trying to uh, win some kind of popularity contest to see how many followers we could gather in Thessalonica. We came to please God. Our metric for success is not the applause of man. Our metric for success is the approval of God. That's what he says. He says, we came to please God, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Yeah, a little resistance and they disappear. He says, look, the metric for our success, for how well we're doing, is not the size of the crowd, not how many people are angry and how many people are for us. The measurement for our success is the heart. God looks at the heart. And God knows that we were here not to win your applause, but to please God. We shared to please God. We shared in humility. We shared the truth. We shared to please God. Fourth, we didn't come with flattery. Look what he says, verse 5. We never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. We didn't come to puff you up. So maybe you would give us money or something like that. We didn't manipulate you for personal gain. God is our witness. God knows our motives. Matter of fact, we didn't come to take from you. We didn't use flattery as a pretext for greed. What does that mean? I really want something from you. I really want money in this case. Greed, I want something from you. So I'm going to use flattery speech. I'm going to puff you up. I'm going to say really nice things. But that's to cover my real motive, which is greed. That's what he says. We did not do that. God knows our hearts. We came for your benefit, not for what you could give to us. That's greed. We came for what we could give to you. So he's really saying here, we shared the gospel for your benefit. We shared the gospel in humility. We shared the gospel in truth. We shared the gospel to please God. We shared the gospel for your benefit. Finally, he says, we didn't seek the glory of people. This is how he shared the gospel. This is his method. This is his motive. Verse 6, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you. He says, we weren't looking for praise and honor. We, We could have come in 
sort of swinging our weight around. We're apostles. Jesus has sent us. We have authority. Um, We could have shown up like that. We could have come authoritatively. We could have used our office to sort of domineer you. But we didn't do that. We're not coming for your honor. We're not coming for your glory. We, We didn't leverage our position when we were among you. We shared the gospel in humility, not for honor. Now, what we have just read is an absolute clinic on the appropriate manner to share the gospel in a lost world. It is the appropriate manner to share the gospel even in a hostile environment. They're in a hostile environment. Pockets of our environments are increasingly hostile. Not everywhere, but some places are hostile in our own culture. And this is what he says. This is the model. We, we must learn from this in the way we speak with others, in the way we communicate online. We must learn this attitude. This is how he said he brought the gospel. We shared from weakness. We shared the truth. We shared to please God. We shared for your benefit. We shared in humility. In other words, he's saying, when we shared the news of Jesus, we looked and sounded like Jesus. Do you see this? It wasn't just that we told you about Jesus, but we told you in a way that our very method, our very manner, our very attitude represented Jesus, acted like Jesus. Many will reject the message, but many will hear the good news and believe because the method and the message are the same. Do you see this? The method reflected the message. I mean, how, uh, how incongruent is it to bring the message of Jesus with pride? That's the exact opposite of Jesus. How, how crazy is it to be arrogant about faith in Christ and look down upon anyone else because that, that contrasts the message. The method there contrasts the message to be arrogant and angry and argumentative and self-righteous, all things that evangelicals are characterized by in our culture, sometimes unfairly, but let's be honest, sometimes fairly. That undermines the message. You can speak truth and undermine what you say by your attitude. You can completely lose a hearing by, and this is what he is saying. I came, think about how we came. People are saying we did all this other stuff. I'm telling you, it's not true. Think about it, Thessalonians. Here's what it was like. He is reminding them. When the presentation smacks of arrogance, when the presentation smacks of self-promotion, church promotion, When the presentation smacks of trying to accumulate a following, build a platform, looking for personal gain, when the message and the method don't match, then people are obviously going to reject the gospel. But his method and his message fit together, and they correspond to Jesus. They not only fit together, but they correspond to the person of Jesus. So, he talks about how he shared the gospel, and he also talks about how they shared their lives. First, with these attitudes of sharing the gospel, and next he transitions to how they shared their lives. Both of these are vital. So, verse 8, remember remember we looked at earlier, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel, which we've just heard how he did that, but also our very own 
selves. We shared our very own selves. Now, this is such a key word here. Verse 7, we were gentle among you. The rest of the message I really want to talk about among you. Among you. Paul is an apostle of Christ, and yet he wasn't whisked in for a speaking engagement. He wasn't hanging out with the team in the green room. He wasn't doing book signings after the presentation and never interacting face-to-face in a meaningful way with folks. He was hanging with the people, is what he's going to say here. He was hanging with the people. We were among you. Paul is going to be able to defend himself because he wasn't a mystery person. He was someone who had been up close and personal with them. Here Paul describes both his evangelistic ministry, that means coming and sharing the gospel with people that don't know Christ. So he talks here about sharing the gospel with those who don't know Christ, but then they became believers in the short time he was there. So he's also talking about discipleship ministry, how to help someone grow. Both of these are happening at the same time, and they always should. If we're preaching the gospel, that's relevant to people that don't know Christ. That's completely relevant to people that do. So if we're communicating the grace of God and applying it to our lives, ministry at the same time can run concurrently to believers and unbelievers alike. That's why both are welcome here on a Sunday because we're speaking truths that relate to all people. And so he's talking about both here. This isn't just his pastoral style or his evangelist style. It's both. So he helps people grow. Now, a real key in this passage is that ministry is always personal and ministry requires presence. Ministry requires presence, both the unbeliever and believer. It requires physical presence. Now, I understand that there's ways to minister digitally. I understand that we can communicate things on an online world. Uh, We have a number on the screen uh, to respond to questions on a podcast. We're not opposed. We podcast our message every week. We're not opposed to all those kinds of things. However, the, the meat and potatoes, the basis of ministry is always personal not digital. It's live. This is what we see in the New Testament. And this is not just because they didn't have all the stuff we have. It's because Jesus comes in. He could have come a lot of ways, but he comes in the flesh, incarnated. God incarnates the message among people in Christ, and he calls us to do the same. Now, his first illustration about being among you is absolutely shocking. I don't know if you caught it when we read through the first time, but it is shocking. He says, Verse 7, we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Paul says we acted like nursing mothers. His team were male, at least the ones mentioned here. They were male, but he said we acted like nursing mothers. What does that mean? It means that we were nurturing. It means that we were gentle. It means that ask any nursing mom in the room, it means that we inconvenienced ourselves for you. The nursing moms in the room are the ones nodding off, not because this is boring, because they didn't sleep last night, because they adapted their lives to the infant. He's saying we adapted ourselves to you. That's what a nursing mom does. A nursing mom doesn't say, okay, you will fit into my life. A nursing mom nurtures, cares, is gentle, protective, 
engaged, will sacrifice and inconvenience herself. Who sacrifices more than a nursing mom? I don't know. I don't know any category of people that deny themselves fundamentally all day and night, deny themselves for the good of the other. It's one of the most compelling illustrations of personal ministry that could be imagined. So he says that we were like nursing moms. We were consumed with your care, and we did so gently. If you're new to the Bible, you may have heard this idea. Or maybe if you're not even a Christian, you may have heard this idea. Jesus I like because Jesus is gentle, caring, loving, um, loves all people, cares for the poor, has a heart for the marginalized. Jesus I like. Paul is gruff, um, harsh. Uh, Paul Paul is down on women. Uh, so he's misogynistic. Paul is, he talks about slavery some and just doesn't totally slam it. So he's probably racist, even though the slavery, which was wrong in that day, wasn't race-based. But okay, so he's probably a racist. He's probably, uh, he might be anti-Semitic at points even. I don't know. But he's just, I don't like his style. There's so many things I don't like about him. Jesus is progressive, Paul is Neanderthal. That is, the, that is the idea that's out there. So I just want to point out, I think, it, I think it's unfair, but I think it is a compelling illustration here that Paul, when he says, when I think about ministry, when I think about being an apostle, when I think about being an, a, a leader who has authority to deliver the message of God, the model I want to follow is I want to be like a nursing mom. He elevates women saying that I want to be my methods to be considered. When you think of my method, I want you to think of a woman nursing her child. That sounds very progressive to me. That doesn't sound real Neanderthal. I mean, a lot of us would not be comfortable with that. How do we process that? If you were on some interview committee interviewing uh, a pastor, a male pastor coming as a candidate to your church, and, and, you know, if you didn't know this, and you said, well, tell us, you would like to be our pastor. What, what is your model for ministry? Well, I really just try to be a nursing mom. I re- nursing is the model that I think you'd go thank you. We'll let you know. We have your resume. Next. But because it's the Apostle Paul saying it, you say, oh, that's true. That's holy. That's right. That's something for a male leader to aspire to, the gentleness of a nursing mom. That's what we were like when we were with you. We weren't in it for ourselves. What are these guys saying? What else does he say? Well, not only were we among you as nursing moms, we were hard workers. Verse 9, you remembered, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed the gospel of God. So clearly here, there's likely a critique that, man, he's in it for the money. No, we didn't take anything from you. We worked night and day so that we wouldn't be a burden. Did Paul ever receive money? Well, sure he did. Uh, he received money from another Macedonian church, Philippi, which is the church he was at prior to this. He received money from them in 1 Corinthians 9. He says that he has a right to be remunerated for his service. But here he says to these people, 
For whatever reason, maybe they were poor. We know later the Macedonians are poor. I don't know if they were poor at this point. But uh, it may have been because they were poor. It may have been because he didn't want them to be confused about his motive. But he for sure says he doesn't want to be a burden to them. So he's not in it for the money. He's telling them night and day we worked. We carried our own load. They stayed with a guy named Jason, evidently, from Acts 17. We we paid Jason rent or we paid for our food. Um, We covered our expenses. But there's something more here that I think is worth considering, because who who here can relate? There's no apostles saying here, yeah, I worked instead of uh, as a missionary charging the people I was serving. So we say that and we say, okay, that's great for Paul, but we can't really relate to that. I actually think this is very relatable to everyone in the room. Acts tells us that Paul made tents for a living. So he was part of the artisan class. His his work, think about his work. He comes in, I worked among you night and day. His work would have embedded him into the community. He would have worked, maybe he sold at the marketplace where he engaged people. Maybe he actually worked at the marketplace and people saw what he produced. But he says, we were among you. We were among you how? As nursing mothers, we were among you as workers, We were embedded in your midst. Now, he preached as well. He may have preached at night and worked during the day. Some speculate he may have preached at points during the day even and worked late into the night uh, making his tents. Uh, We don't know exactly, but we do know that he worked. And look at verse 10. So I worked night and day while I proclaim the gospel of God, verse 10, your witnesses and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you. He says that in the context of his work as a tent maker. What is he saying? Your witnesses to our work. No one can make an accusation against us. Why? You saw our work. You saw our business. You saw how we conducted ourselves. One commentator speculated that it's reasonable to assume that Paul may have actually interacted and discipled people while he's working. So while he is cutting material, while he he is stitching the seam or however you make a tent, uh, he's saying we shared our lives. What does that mean? We were embedded in the community. We worked among you. Everybody knows we worked. How can he say that unless they had seen him? How can he say we were among you night and day so as not to be a burden, and you saw your witnesses, how holy we were? How can he say that if they didn't witness? So he's saying you saw us. It's reasonable to assume that it was, he's using even his physical labor as a blue-collar worker, we might call it that, um, to say not only were we not a burden to you, but that was a testimony of our blamelessness. You know how we treated people. You know what our reputation was. I mean, it would undermine the gospel if he said, we preached for free, but we ripped people off in the marketplace so we could have a great living, you know? That would have undermined everything he said. He's saying, no, that was a testimony to our lives. You saw our blamelessness. That is a powerful testimony. We preached a true message, and you saw our blamelessness in the way we worked among you. Powerful. When I was in college, I've shared this story before, but it's been a while, so... Maybe either you have a short memory or you haven't heard it before. But when I was in college, uh, I was a pretty eager young guy. 
uh, in the Lord and wanted to lead. I actually w- did an internship in the church I was at in college for a while and felt like I wanted to be involved in the stuff Paul's talking about here, preaching the gospel, um, helping people grow in the Lord. And so, I, but I realized I needed to be discipled. And uh, so I, uh, I reached out to this older guy in the church. I just knew him by reputation, but he had a reputation of being a mature, godly guy in the church. And so he, he was probably at the time, uh, you know, he might've been late forties or something like that, had older kids and uh, had an established career and everything. So he, uh, I said, will you disciple me? And he says, sure, meet me at such and such location at such and such time. So I'm thinking, oh, this will be great, man. This guy's going to unveil the mysteries of the scripture to me and let me into the secret knowledge that I don't know and show me how to really follow Jesus. Maybe we'll go out witnessing. Maybe we'll just walk through a theology passage in Romans. I don't know. So we meet, and he says, like, get in my car. We're going. And so I get in his car and find out. I didn't know much about him, but find out he, has a, he had a sales career. He sold... Um, security systems. And so he said, like, I'm working. You're coming with me on the job. I'm like, well, yeah, I don't, yeah, I want to be a pastor, not a security system salesman, so this is very irrelevant to me. But okay. And so he gets to know me as we're driving, drawing me out, asking me questions, sharing with me about his life. We go, I actually go to an appointment with him where he's selling. I'm just sitting there. I don't work for the company or I'm just sitting there listening, but I'm interact. I'm watching him. I'm watching how he relates. We get in the car. He shares with me some stuff about what he was doing and what his job is and all that. And he's talking about how the Lord affects him in his job and talking to me about, and I'm thinking this is an absolute waste of time. This is not what I'm not going to, I'm not going to sell security systems. And so I don't really see anything. This doesn't relate to me. I just was wanting some Bible knowledge. I want to know Jesus. I don't want to know this stuff. And you know what? I never got back. He left it. He was smart. He did this all. And then he left it in my court. Call me if you want to get together again. I never called him back. And man, did I miss out. Because here was a guy who said, I want to share with you the gospel and my life. I don't want to sit in some, have some, it's not wrong just to sit and have a big theological discussion. That's not bad. But I'd like to show you how it works out in real life. He may have seen something in me. You're a little starry-eyed. And so maybe you need to come to the ground and see what it looks like to be a Christian man uh, in life. I think that's what Paul's talking about here. Because I could observe, and he did connect the dots for me. I could observe that, oh yeah, this guy was blameless. This guy was honest in his presentation. This guy was not manipulating people. He wasn't hard selling or whatever it was. He was trying to serve people to give them a service, security that would benefit them. So I could have looked and said, wow, this guy's life, there's a holiness and a blame. He works his faith into his daily life. But I missed out on that. Thankfully, later I've come to learn some of those things. But that's what Paul's saying here. I not only shared with you the gospel, I shared my life. This guy was saying to me, I'm not only going to share you knowledge, I'm going to open my life to you and show, show you what it looks like. Not only were we among you as mothers, not only were we among you as hard workers, but we were among you as encouraging fathers. Look at this. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom. 
What does he say? We were among you like a dad. We encouraged you. We charged you. I mean, you guys came to believe, and we came along, and we spoke to you words to give you faith and give you courage to keep going. We, we, were, we were like a dad cheering you on. We were instructing you. We were exhorting you. We were calling you into all that God had called you. So we were not only a mom nurturing you, but we were a dad sort of charging you as well. We were trying to build you up. Why? So that you would walk in a manner worthy of God. It wasn't saying be worthy and earn your salvation. He was saying you've been given salvation freely. Now live a life that demonstrates your salvation. Don't live to earn it. Live to demonstrate what you've been freely given. He said, we wanted to show you what it was like to, we, we wanted to call you to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord uh, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So remember last week we saw you worshiping many gods, you turned from idols, you turned to the one true living God, the King Jesus. And he's saying now, we wanted to uh, charge you to walk in the kingdom, serving the king, so that the king who rules over all, Jesus is Lord, not Caesar is Lord, give to Caesar what's due him, pay your taxes for sure, and respect the king and pray for him, but worship Jesus and live for him. So dividing the king, the Caesar is Lord versus Jesus is Lord. He's saying, Jesus is Lord. He is your king. You're in his kingdom to bring him glory. He rules over the entire universe. He rules over your entire life. So live in a way that brings glory to God, glory to his kingdom. We charged you to do that. So we were coming alongside as a dad. Now here's all the thing about, we talked about how he brought you know, uh, sort of the manner in which he brought the gospel. And now he's talking about how he not only shared the gospel, but shared his life. And this section on sharing his life, it all, here's some application for us, it all demands personal presence. Everything he says here demands personal contact. We shared the gospel, we shared our lives. Our mission to unbelievers involves the same character as Paul and his team demonstrate here. It means being among people, being among people, being among unbelievers. It means that we would seek to develop relationships with unbelievers that would be nurturing and caring, like a nursing mom, caring, available, adapting to them to serve them and share the good news with them. It means that we would work among them, whatever work looks like for you. I would say also we would work and play and do, do everything that we do in life among them to show an example so that though we fail, when we fail, we ask forgiveness. When we make a mistake, we recognize it. Um, so that we, among them, that we could actually say, my life among you pointed, once we got to the message of Christ, my, you weren't surprised. My life pointed to it. That's the goal. Paul could say, I told you this news, and I have examples to say, that's how I was living. Now, he's having to defend himself. Hopefully, we don't have to do that, but he's having to defend himself. And so, he's saying, look, you know what I was like. My work, I was blameless. You can't bring an accusation, a credible accusation against me. Uh, in the way I worked among you. And lastly, I charged you once, you know, I called you into, I called you to follow the king. So sharing the gospel 
means that we're among people, and then we, adapt, we uh, embrace his method. We share the gospel. When we get an opportunity, we open our mouths, but we do so recognizing our weakness. We share in weakness. We share in truth. We share to please God and not man. We share in humility. So we're weak and broken people. Paul is that way, a suffering person. But in the midst of our suffering, we communicate God's truth to people that we are among who have an opportunity not only to hear the message, but to observe the message as well. And this same approach must characterize our relationship as Christians because, especially this last section, when he says that he called them to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, what does that mean? That's discipling someone who's already a believer, these new believers. So this is true of discipling one another as well, that we have to help one another follow Christ, and we can't do that without personal presence. Paul would, now, Paul's writing them a letter, obviously, so he's helping them at a distance, but his real ministry among them was this sort of personal life-on-life life ministry. And so we must resist the cultural temptations that say life-on-life life is an option. We must resist the cultural temptations that lead towards independence rather than community. That just says, hey, all my spiritual growth, it just comes from podcasts. All my spiritual maturing comes from teaching that I saw on YouTube. All my instruction and knowledge comes through books. That was my attitude with the guy that I asked to disciple me. Let's talk about some, pre some preachers. Let's talk about some books. And he's saying, let's go life on life. Let's share our very lives. Now, those things I just mentioned are gifts. I use every one of those things all week long. They are gifts for sure. They are resources that help us, but we will not grow unless we are among God's people interacting with them. There's, the New Testament knows nothing else. The New Testament says that we are a body connected together and that we, if we dislocate part of the body from the rest of the body, we do not function and grow as God designed, a place where we are known and we can know others. We all need a place to be nurtured by people and to nurture other people. We all need a place where we can look at an example of someone else's life and they can look at our life as an example as well. We all need a place where someone could encourage us like a father, where we have some fathers in our lives. It may be a peer, that's not necessarily an age thing, but it may be someone, it may be a peer, it could be someone younger than us that encourages us and strengthens us and calls us to press on Man, we need that personally. I'm thankful for an encouraging text. I get those. I try to send those. I'm thankful for those. But there's nothing like eyeball to eyeball, someone charging you like a father and encouraging you to press on. There's no substitute. That's why we are embodied beings. The body matters. We're not just spirits. We are bodies in locations, in places, in churches, in relationships among people. So, we share the gospel and we share our lives with unbelievers and we do it with believers too. It's not just one or the other. It's both and. What does it mean to be like the New Testament church? 
I don't hear that a lot. We used to say it back in the day. We want to be a New Testament church. And I quit saying that because if you're going to be a New Testament church, you have to have some heretics present <laughs> and you have to have somebody doing something crazy that's requiring an apostle to write to them. <laughs> you know, so to the New Testament churches, you have to be like denying grace or, you know, getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. So I, I quit saying we want to just be a New Testament church <laughs> because I can't think of one of them that doesn't have some major problem. But if we are going to be a New Testament church, the best of, take Acts 2, the best of the New Testament church. That's like the, that's the greatest hits. Acts 2, 42 through 47, that's the greatest hits album. So if you look at that passage, Acts 2, 42 through 47, or a passage like that, what you'll see is if you want to be a New Testament church, you got to be present. You got to be with people because the New Testament knows no other kind of church. There is no other present. How is God freshly calling you today to personal presence, personal service, personal engagement with people that don't know Jesus and with people that do know Jesus? How is God calling you to life-on-life interaction? Paul's model is distinct among the philosophers. The philosophers and wisdom gurus go in, drop some teaching, collect their check, move on. Paul is embedded in the community. He's working. He's setting an example. He's nurturing. He's exhorting. He's with them. He's demonstrating. He's interacting. They're sharing. They're learning. They're in this together. Very different. That was distinct in Paul's culture. And may I say, it is distinct today as well because we are drowning, flooded with great resources that we don't need any of this, and we, can, we think, and we can separate ourselves, we think, from people that don't know Christ without really, really engaging them. But I think what Paul says here is what God calls us to. We were ready, because we were affectionately desirous, because we loved you, we were ready to share not only the gospel, but our lives, because you had become dear to us. We loved you. We shared the gospel. We shared our lives. You were dear. It's like a love sandwich. We loved you. We cared about you. You were dear to us. And in the middle, what's the meat? We shared the gospel. We shared our lives. And God calls us to think, may God equip us to share his word and our lives with those around us who know and those beside us today who don't know and those beside us today who do know. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.